and it is good to worship Him together. Amen? Well, it is good to be able to be here and to open God's Word together, and today we're looking at the idea of the Christmas journey. Now, chances are that you probably have to do some traveling over these next few days, uh, maybe shorter distance, maybe longer distance. You're either traveling or maybe someone's traveling to you. There's a lot of journeying that takes place at Christmas time, the Christmas journey. Uh, I was reminded, I was thinking about this passage, uh, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at here in a few minutes about being a Christmas journey. There's an old song, goes, Over the River and Through the Woods. Y'all remember this? I- I'm not going to sing it, but I'll just tell you something, all right? Over the river and through the woods, to grandmother's house we go. The horse knows the way to carry the sleigh through the white and drifted snow. Over the river and through the woods, oh, how the wind does blow. It stings the toes and bites the nose as over the ground we go. That's a great Christmas song, isn't it? But hear this next lyric. Over the river and through the woods, to have a first-rate play. Oh, hear the bells ring, ting-a-ling, hooray for Thanksgiving Day. I was very disappointed. It's a Thanksgiving song, not a Christmas song. Because it didn't fit, but I used it anyway. How about that? So we think about this idea of a journey and a Christmas journey. Whether you're going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house or whatever it may be, wherever you're going, we're, a lot of times we take journeys at Christmas. And as we look at the Christmas story, both in Luke 2 and in Matthew 2, we find there's a whole lot of journeying that takes place in the Christmas story. And so it got us to thinking a little bit, got me thinking about the journey that we have at Christmas and how it is that we journey through Christmas. So the question for you this morning is, how do you journey through Christmas? And chances are, as as you think about how you journey through Christmas, it is a mirror or reflection of how you journey through life. And so the question then that we ask is, as we think about this journey, whether it's through Christmas or through life, is, is your focus consistent? Is the spotlight shining where it's supposed to be shining? Is your motivation pure, and is your focal point the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to look at some of Luke chapter 2, as well as some of Matthew chapter 2 here in just a few minutes, and see parts of the Christmas story, and see the Christmas journey of the participants in those stories, and ask where it is that we fit in our own Christmas journey, and indeed in our own life's journey. Y'all with me this morning? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And indeed, we know that all of life is a journey. And I pray, Father, that as we think about the trips that we'll be making in the next few days, indeed this next week or so, or people will be coming to us as we journey from place to place, Lord, may we be reminded uh, of life's journey and the Christmas journey and what that looks like in each of us. Father, may you use the passages of Scripture and the words this morning to challenge us, Lord, even to change us, to get our hearts back into focus where it needs to be, to shifting our hearts' love for you back to where it needs to be. But, Lord, that you would be glorified and exalted in our hearts and lives as we gather here and as we journey through the rest of our Christmas season and, indeed, as we journey through the rest of our lives. May you be exalted. May you be glorified. And we pray, Father, for the words today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and you see in your bulletin today, there's four points here, as we think about the Christmas journey. And we're thinking about the journey, first off, the journey of obligation. 
the journey of obligation. So as we think about your Christmas journey, has your Christmas journey or is your Christmas journey one of an obligation? Let me explain that. So Christmas is really filled with so many obligations. Would you agree with that this morning? I mean, we have a lot of obligations that we need to fulfill at Christmas time. I mean, we've got, we've got a lot of purchasing that needs to take place. We have some participating that needs to take place. We've got some cooking that needs to take place. We've got to go from place to place. And all these things we're obligated because we have to. And as we think about this idea of an obligation at Christmas time, we can only go back to the Christmas story here in Luke chapter 2 and find that in that original Christmas story, there is a Christmas journey of obligation by two people, of Mary and Joseph. So let's look at Luke 2, verses 1 through 5 for just a second here, and and see the journey of obligation of Mary and Joseph. The Bible here tells us in Luke 2 that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, we all have heard this so many times in our lifetime, and we, we know all these first five verses. We always just like to rush along to get to the real good part about Jesus being born. But we cannot overlook the importance here of these first five verses because this journey here is a journey of obligation that is about to take place. What we find here is that the emperor or the, the leader, the Roman leader, is Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus has absolute power over the region. He has ordered uh, all of the Roman Empire to be registered. Now, the census was to number each nation by family and by tribe so that the people then were obligated to return to their ancestral home and to register their family, register themselves. And the Jews, of course, came to regard this census as a terrible symbol of Roman oppression, but they were obligated to go to their hometown where their tribal hometown is and to register. And since Mary and Joseph were descendants of David, then they went to their tribal home of Bethlehem from their home in Nazareth. Now understand that this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem is not like going over to the mall from here, okay? To go from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about at least a 70-mile journey. A 70-mile journey that was also a grueling journey for Mary on the verge of delivery because it was 70 miles for one thing, but also it was mountainous terrain. And you're going to be surprised to hear and to understand that that 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they didn't have a car to ride in. I know that's a shock, isn't it? Not only did they have a car, but they didn't have a Starbucks or a Wawa or even a Cracker Barrel. To get them along the way, it's about a five-day journey. They had no Holiday Inn, no Hampton Inn along the way. It was not a fun journey. But we don't hear Mary and Joseph complaining about this journey of obligation. But you can imagine if it had been us in the same situation, right? Uh, Bethlehem, you get this word from the Roman Empire that we're supposed to go back 70 miles and our wife, our spouse, is expecting a baby at any day now. 
and you hear that, okay, I've got to go back to my hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem? And that's 70 miles away. I've got to go 70 miles to Bethlehem? My wife's about to deliver. I mean, can't the Roman government give us a waiver or something? Can it wait until after the baby is born even? But no, there is the obligation. You can imagine being in the situation, knowing that you have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and you're obligated to go. It's a journey, but it's a journey of obligation. But understand also that as we look at it from this perspective looking back, is that there was an obligation, but also God had a plan. Amen? God had a plan, and so they make the journey. We find in verse 6 and 7, so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, that the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, which is Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God had a plan in the midst of this obligation that they had to do, that they had to get to Bethlehem. This baby had been prophesied to be born in this, the least of places, this place called Bethlehem. God had a plan where it was a journey of obligation for Mary Joseph. God knew exactly what he was doing. Amen? And so maybe as you enter into this season of Christmas, you enter it, And maybe you've been in the midst of it only out of a sense of obligation. Everything or most everything you're doing is because you have to. I have to buy the gifts and I have to prepare the meals and I have to fight the lines and I have to deal with the traffic and I have to wrap those gifts and my back is breaking from all of those gifts that I've had to wrap. I I told Angie last night as I wrapped the last gift that I was giving. As I came downstairs, I said, let me tell you about what beautiful sights are. The most beautiful sights are your bride on the wedding day, your children when they are born, when people get saved, and when you put the last piece of tape on the last gift at Christmas time. That is a beautiful sight. Can I get a witness? Y'all know what I'm talking about here, right? It's all because of an obligation of things that we have to do. And so we do them because we have to keep the traditions alive. And we have to entertain to keep our family happy. And for you, maybe this Christmas journey has been a journey of obligation. And this part of the Christmas story certainly was a journey of obligation for Mary and Joseph. But yet, even in their circumstances that were very much inconvenient, that were very much uncomfortable, they were, and yet they were obliged to do them, God had a sovereign plan. This baby would fulfill prophecy by being born in this specific place. And so listen, friends, maybe as you go through your Christmas journey over the next few days, Don't try to see it as a journey of obligation, but a journey of God's sovereign plan. That where you find yourself that you're having conversations that you had not planned, but he did. Where you are in places maybe that you had not planned, but he did. Or where you're in situations that you had not planned, but he did. Amen? And so see not only that as your Christmas journey 
But how about see that also as your life's journey? Not as a sense of obligation, but understanding that God has a sovereign plan. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your situation, no matter how inconvenient or uncomfortable, God is still on the throne. Amen? And he has a plan. And so see this journey, the journey of Christmas, but also the journey of life, as God's leading you and knowing that he is always at work around you. And see it not as obligation, but as a part of his wonderful plan in and through your life. He's the one who orders the steps and makes the path. In Psalm 37, verse 23, the Bible tells us that the steps of a good man are ordered or established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. God has a plan. And we get the privilege of being a part of it. Amen? And so see that work and embrace what he is doing in and through you as the journey through Christmas and also the journey through all of life. So we see the journey of obligation. But then secondly, we also see the journey of invitation. I don't know about you guys, but I know for us, Christmas is full of invitations. Invitations to do this or that, and our calendars will fill up very quickly as early as September, October for just Christmas. Things get shuffled. Sometimes weather changes our plans, or somebody gets sick and you have to reschedule, and it's hard to reschedule due to so much going on and invitations that have been accepted. But there's invitations, you know, to homes and invitations to parties and invitations to events and invitations to trips. And here's the thing is that we, all of us, want to do them all because we don't want to miss a thing. Amen? We don't want to miss anything. We want to be a part of all the festivities and get all the Christmas spirit that we can possibly get. At least most of us are that way. Maybe you're not like that and you're more like a Scrooge or a homebody and don't want to do anything but sit in your lazy bowl recliner. But I digress from that. But as we look at our Christmas story here, we see a journey of invitation. And we look in verses 10 through 12 and we see an invitation that is given. Talked about a little bit last week. Uh, I understand you had a guest here last week, so he, he told a little bit about this. So let's look at it again in verses 10 through 12 about this invitation. In verse 10 and following, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you will find, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so the angels have been sent by God to go to the shepherds, and the shepherds are invited to go and see this thing which God has done. The angels give the message of the birth of a Savior and invites them to go to to, where they need to go to find this baby in a manger, and they make the journey. It's a journey of invitation. But it's also more than that. It's also an invitation by the Lord to join him in what he's doing. It's an invitation by the Lord to see the glory of God. It's an invitation to come and to experience who he is. It's a journey of invitation. Hey, the question is, what about you guys? What about all of us in our Christmas journey? What about our life's journey? What invitations are you accepting this year? And what invitations have you been accepting throughout your lifetime and continue to accept? How about accepting the invitation from the Lord to come and see what he's doing? How about the invitation to come and to see his glory, to come and experience who he is? So what is his invitation to us at Christmas? It's the same invitation that he gives to us all of our lives. 
And that is an invitation to find peace and to find joy and to find hope by finding him. Amen? That's where you find the joy, the hope, and the peace is when you find him. To come to him. To come to him from the mundane and the routine and the predictable everyday happenings and in the midst of those to be able to find meaning in life. And to find satisfaction and the longings of life that we're looking for. Where do we find that? We find that in the babe that was born in a manger who lived a sinless, perfect life, who took your sin and my sin upon the cross and went to the cross of Calvary and died in our place and was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again from the grave on the third day and lives now forever and who's right now in the midst of us seated on the throne in heaven. Amen? We find satisfaction in him. Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 55, 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Find satisfaction in him. He is the one. We cannot purchase it on our own. He's already paid the price. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Here is the meaning of life, the meaning of who we are. We're created to be the people of God, to to be reconciled to our Creator and to follow Him and to serve Him and to point people to Him that they too may have this same hope. Satisfaction and meaning are found in Him. We are invited not only at Christmas, but invited all of our life to follow and to serve Him, be involved in what He's doing. It's a journey of obligation. It's a journey of invitation. And then thirdly, it's a journey of anticipation. Christmas is filled with anticipation of the wonderful things that are to come. Amen to that? Christmas is filled with the anticipation of wonderful things. As a kid, listen, as a kid, you remember, the anticipation of Christmas was excruciating, wasn't it? We could not wait for Christmas to get here. It seemed like it would never arrive. For those of us who are adults now, we think, oh, it's here again. comes by so quickly. But even as it comes for us who are adults, the anticipation is still there where we anticipate being with family. Hey, I'm anticipating I get to see my grandbabies this week. Amen? I get to spend a little time with them today and, and on Tuesday. There is some anticipation there. Anticipating being together as families. There's anticipation of laughter and having a good time around the tree and opening gifts, but also sitting around the table. And so, and along those lines, having the anticipation of some favorite foods that we like, right? Amen? I mean, we have those special people in our families who can fix just the right thing. And so we're anticipating those things, those things that better be on the table when we get there, right? The anticipation. Of the, let me just tell you a little thing about something we do here at our house, or, or at it, really, it's Angie's mom. Angie mom. Angie's mom fixed this, this stuff called custard. Now, it's not custard like what you're probably thinking about custard. There, it is, a, it is a, a very cold, thick cream sauce that you pour in a cup. But before you pour it in the cup, you take orange sherbet, and you make, take scoops of orange sherbet and put that in the cup first. Then you pour the cream sauce over it. And you take a spoon and you eat it with a spoon. Let me just tell you, folks, you don't know what you're missing. I'm just telling you. 
And so Angie's mom's been fixing this for years and years. And when I finally got in the family about 30 years ago, I get to enjoy it about once or twice a year. And so I am anticipating that it's going to be at her house when we go there for Christmas. Amen? I know she still knows how to make it because Thanksgiving Day, when we couldn't be there, she sent a text to Angie and said, tell Joey that I'm making custard today. And I said, that's just not right. (laughs) But I know I'm getting it. And bless God, here's the other thing is that Angie told me last night she's also making a batch of it for us to have at our house too. So hallelujah. (laughs) It's a dangerous thing, I'm here to tell you, but it's a good thing. Anticipation of our favorite things that is going to be taking place. There's another part of anticipation that takes place in the scriptures as we think about the Christmas story. When you go back to the book of Matthew, we see the journey of anticipation. It's the anticipation of the wise men. And beloved, they're not anticipating custard. They're anticipating a king. Amen? So you look in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we see these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. So these wise men, or the magi, they are anticipating seeing the newborn king because they had seen his star in the east. Now, how did they know that this was something or someone special as they look at this star. Maybe they learned of the star and its prophecy from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, because remember, all of the scripture points to, yes, thank you, dear brother, appreciate that. <laughs> all of the scripture, yes, all of the scripture points to, Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, amen? And so in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 20, chapter 22 and 24, we find there that Balaam is instructed by God to bless the Israelites and not to curse them. And so in Numbers 24 and verse 17, the first part of that verse, we see that Balaam says these words. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so what we find is that these two lines tell of a scepter, meaning one who rules, that will arise from God's people and a star that will come. Hang on a minute. So this prophesied king who is associated with a star is one who will, as the passage continues, deliver the people of God from their enemies. So the wise men, who were men who would have known about the stars and known the stars, now they are journeying, understand this, they are journeying hundreds or even thousands of miles because they are anticipating seeing this king, this ruler. It was a journey of anticipation. And so what we find in the passage of Scripture is that they arrive at the palace of Herod and they ask about where the king is born. And so what the king does, the king is not happy at all about what is taking place when he hears this. And it tells us that all of Jerusalem is not happy about it either because they know what a ruthless king, King Herod, is. And so what King Herod does when he hears from the wise men about this one who is to be born, he summons the religious leaders to come and give an answer. And so let's look at verses 3 through 6. When when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. 
For thus it is written by the prophet, the prophet Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so once the wise men hear uh, the word of the prophets as to where this child will be born, well, what they do is they head out. They move in that direction. We see that. We pick up in verse 9 through verse 11. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came, and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they came, had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down, they worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their journey of anticipation is now culminated. When they see the king, this child, Jesus. It was a journey of anticipation. Now, as we look at that story, there's some things that I would love to be able to point out and and talk about, but I don't have time to do all that. Just a couple, one one real quick thing is that I find it interesting about the religious leaders here, don't you? Isn't it interesting that the religious leaders don't go with the wise men? Isn't it interesting? You would think that those who knew the word of God so well would want to see what this star and this baby was all about. But if they knew this, they certainly must have known that the star was significant. If they knew the prophecy of the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, they certainly must have known about the star. And even though they, listen, this is important. Even though they knew the text well, they missed the point. And even though they knew the word of God They did not act upon it. I wonder why. I wonder if it's that they didn't go because they were comfortable. Maybe they were comfortable in the temple. And they didn't want to make the trek out to Bethlehem. Maybe they were comfortable in the palace. Or maybe they were comfortable in the pocket of Herod. Whatever the case may be, they didn't go. Because they could not see what God was doing. They knew the word, they knew the text, but they did not act upon it. You know, some people, listen, some people are just clueless as to what God is doing, right? It's the same today as well. Maybe you have heard the story that's uh, running rampant on the internet right now about the 11-year-old Texas girl. Her name is Roxley Doss, who was diagnosed uh, back in June with what was to be a rare inoperable brain tumor. But this little girl, 11-year-old girl, faced this tumor with great courage. And this tumor, each year, there are some 300 children in the U.S. who are diagnosed with this particular type of brain tumor, known as DIPG. There is no cure for this tumor, and less than 1% of people who develop this tumor survive beyond five years after it being found. The doctor there at the hospital in Austin, Texas, says it's a de- Dr. Herod said it. How appropriate that is for this passage of scripture. I didn't realize that. <laughs> it's a devastating disease. She says you have decreased ability to swallow, sometimes vision loss, decreased ability, decreased ability to talk, even difficulty with breathing. So Roxley was given only months to live. As she went through weeks of radiation, her parents did what parents do who know the Lord. Scott and Gina Doss prayed for a miracle. And her mother just recently said, we got the miracle. 
her dad said, praise God, we most certainly did. Whereas typically radiation is a life-extending treatment and not a cure, but just over two months after being diagnosed, another MRI was done and the tumor appeared to have completely gone away. The next line in the article is, the doctors can't explain the remarkable response. You see, the world is, cannot understand when God is doing something. But unfortunately, sometimes even the church can't either. Sometimes even his own people, the religious people, can't see when God is working. To see when God's doing something right in front of us. Because maybe we're not anticipating him to. Maybe we're not expecting him to do anything. We're comfortable right where we are. We're comfortable doing what we always do. I don't want to take that journey. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go see this. Even though that might be exactly where God wants you to go to see what he's doing, that you can be a part of it. So, hey, let me, let me ask you. I'm, I'm wondering this morning. <clears throat> I'm wondering if we're anticipating anything this Christmas. You know, not, not, I'm not talking about the gifts and the food and the fun, but are we anticipating the Lord to do something? Are we anticipating him to do something in us? Are we anticipating him to guide us? Are we anticipating him to speak to us? Are we anticipating him to use us and to bless us with his presence as we seek to exalt and to magnify him as we go throughout this Christmas journey? I wonder if we're anticipating that in life as well as the journey of life. Are we anticipating God to use us and to do something in our, in our lives and to guide us and to use us for his glory? Are we so comfortable? Listen, are we so comfortable with the stability of our traditions and the stability of our routines and the stability of our own ways that we are willing to miss what God is doing right in front of us? Are we like those religious leaders of that day where we know the text but we miss the point where we know the word, but we refuse to act upon it. Is your journey a journey of anticipation? Where we see him doing something in our own lives this Christmas, or even in our own lives all year long? Because ultimately, listen now, ultimately, this journey of our life is a journey of anticipation. You know what I'm saying? Because we are anticipating that one day, listen, we are going to see the king. Amen? That's a journey of anticipation for us, that one day we're going to see him who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're going to bow down before him, and we're going to worship him in all of his majesty. It's a journey of anticipation as we wait for that day. Amen? That's what we're looking forward to. So let our journey be a journey of obligation or invitation and anticipation. And then fourthly, is it a journey of affection? This Christmas journey for us is often one of affection. As we move through Christmas season, we do the things that we do because of our love. We love our family, so we want to be with them. We love church. We love music. We love lights. We love decorations. We love the feel that Christmas brings to us. But as we look at the Christmas story here, do we see where in this Christmas story do we see the, the journey of affection? Well, it's found in the star. No, 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 no. Not the star in the sky, 
but the star of the story in the manger. We see it in Jesus. That's the journey of affection. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, here's the journey that Jesus took. Jesus left the glory and the splendor of heaven, and he came to earth and became a man so that we could have life eternal, reconciled to our Creator. It is a journey of affection. It's the love of the Father. It's the love for us. So how do you know that? Well, let me just tell you something you might have heard before. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? It's a, it's a journey of affection. He gave, of his, he gave himself for us. God gave his son for us because of his love. As we think about our Christmas journey, hopefully we do what we do at Christmas because of our love that we have for people. And like we go to our people because we love them. And we give our gifts out of love for them. But as we go to our folks and to our families and spend time with them and we give our gifts out of love, may it remind us, may it remind us that he came for us because of his love for us. That he is the greatest gift given to us because of his love. And our Christmas journey is to be one of affection, one of love. And indeed, that is not also not only to be, to be our, our Christmas journey but it, because of love, but it is to be our life's journey, that we do all things because of our love, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do all things. This journey of life is a journey of affection for the Lord. And if that is the case, if that is our journey, if it is a journey of affection, then we understand the journey of obligation. That when we do what we do because of, uh, of an obligation, we understand that he has a perfect plan in the midst of that. That we accept his invitation. This journey of invitation is that we accept his invitation and we find satisfaction and meaning in life through him. We love him. And it's also a journey of anticipation. Where we anticipate that God is at work in our lives, that he's going to be working in our lives, that he's going to use us for his glory, that he's blessing us with his presence, and then also anticipating the day, that day, when we're going to see him face to face, the king, not as a babe in a manger, but on the throne, the lamb of God who took away my sin so that I might join him in that place of glory, a place called heaven. Amen? That's the journey that we're on today. Whether it's at Christmas time or Easter time or Thanksgiving time, whenever it is, it's a journey of affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you begin to live out this journey of affection? Well, you recognize that it started with him. Recognize his love for you and that where he gave himself for you. And then as you do that, recognize his love for you, then you turn around and you give yourself to him and you love him in return. It begins with the step of faith. We know that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We turn from our sin and turn to Jesus in humble repentance. We embrace believing that this Jesus is the Son of God who was born in a manger but died on a cross as a sinless, perfect Lamb of God. Died on the cross, was buried, but rose again bodily from the grave, and we profess Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. It's a step of faith. We trust Him with our lives. And so how then, the question is, how do you journey through Christmas? Same way you journey through life. Is your focus consistent? 
Is the spotlight shining where it's supposed to be shining? Is your motivation pure? And is the focal point Jesus? We're all going through a journey. Make sure you keep your eyes on the real star of the story. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives. May you guide us and direct us. Lord, at this time of invitation, that, Lord, if there are those here today who've never given themselves over to you, saying, Lord, you're my creator, you're the one who made me, and you're the one who loves me, and you've provided a way for me to have salvation. And so, Lord, I surrender to you today. Maybe there are those here today who've never trusted you by faith, Lord Jesus. I pray that this, this moment, that you're calling them to yourself. And as we stand and sing in just a moment, as the pastors will be here down front, that they'll just come down and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And they'll pray with them. I pray also for those of us who know you already as Lord and Savior of our lives, Lord, that on this Christmas weekend, the Sunday prior to Christmas, that, Lord, we would say, I want to give my, the gift of myself back to the Lord. I want the Lord to have all of me. I want to go wherever he leads. I want to do whatever he says for me to do, and I want to be whatever he wants me to be. I want to be his, his servant, now and forever, that I yield to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we come to this invitation, that we would recommit our hearts and lives to you. We'd say, I want to have a passion for Jesus above all things else, and I want to go through not only this Christmas journey, but the journey of life with my focus being upon Jesus that he would maintain the spotlight and that he would use me for his glory in anticipation of one day when I will see you face to face. So, Lord, be with all of us as we make decisions of commitment today for your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to.